Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. We're going to be looking at the dark side of mysticism today. My guest is James Tunney, who is the author of The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution. In addition, he's written two dystopian novels, Blue Lies September and Ireland, I Don't Know Who She Is. He is a qualified barrister and a uh, professor of law who is lectured all over the world. Welcome, James. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for the nice walk yesterday and for arranging for that pack of coyotes <laughs> to, to cross right in front of us on the, on the canyon trail. Yes, yes, we've uh, really been enjoying your visit here in Albuquerque. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm uh, delighted that we're able to have uh, continued conversations. Me too. Uh, there's so much to say about the dark side of mm. of mysticism. Uh, maybe a good place to start would be with the the word sorcery. Yeah. Um, the, there, there, one has to be... Be careful. Uh, from a legal perspective, I might come to a different conclusion than a, a person who has studied it from a, uh, an academic discipline that's, that's focused on, on the very particular meanings of those words. But I think that uh, when we talk about sorcery, uh, there's often contemplated by many people that use that word a kind of dark path which involves magical and mystical elements. Yes. So, as, as a sorcerer, a sorcery approach would be generally seen to be inconsistent with, say, a, a Christian mystical approach, and it's the opposite. Yeah. And in fact, so it, it really depends on who's who's making the definition, and we have to accept that over a period of time, time the meanings of of words change, uh, and the meaning, the, the specific meaning of words uh, can be disputed. There can be misinterpretations. There are there are examples or suggestions that some of the uh, misinterpretations of biblical texts uh, or texts led to persecution of witches, for example, when there the, the wasn't doctrinal basis for it. We know that witch, witches have been persecuted uh, throughout the ages, and the, there's a, quite a bit of evidence. Well, obviously, a lot of these people were doing no wrong. There was a lot of expertise and herbalism and plants and uh, etc that people had natural knowledge indigenous knowledge and those those people often women but men as well were persecuted for for their beliefs so the definition um, would have to have to be made first and then we would have to see the particular time and context because different governments different ruling regimes will persecute different groups and sometimes i, I i've wondered whether we look at witchcraft and the persecution of witches who had special skills which were more consistent with an indigenous knowledge, the same as the shaman may have in, in, in uh, the Amazon. I wonder sometimes whether the, the, the people who were persecuting them were engaging in a different type of, of sorcery or an anti-sorcery and in fact that they were, if you like to call it, simplify bad witches or dark witches who were actually persecuting other witches who were mm. doing healing work. Uh, for me, the uh, focus on healing, and uh, which is also something we associate with with the uh, Jesus Christ figure, healing was critical uh, mm -hmm. to him. Uh, and this, uh, this is a, we can also see that in relation to traditional healers. We still have a few traditional healers in Ireland, for example, in, in Scotland, um, and we see it in different cultures. But that healing. Uh, craft that people had, men and women, uh, that was gained through the ages, that was passed down, that was often put into, uh, put into the pot with all the other uh, false charges against witches. Well, and even in recent years, healers get persecuted by medical associations. Yes, and it's not even uh, about uh, healers, it's, it's even about the use of foods and medicines 
that are well known uh, throughout the ages. Um, there's, there's, there's a, a vast cornucopia of, of information that has been lost, a vast store of knowledge which uh, in, of context about herbs, for example, that are beneficial for the body, far more beneficial than the extracts from them. But of course, it's harder to make money for, uh, for corporations by using the traditional knowledge. So we, we, we have this uh, idea, we have this example, and I know from intellectual property, where large companies will follow traditional uh, healers to find out what their, wh- where, where they get their source, and then they will extract it, and then they will they will sell it. So uh, there's a lot of, it's, it's the same in relation to ayahuasca and, and all the hallucinogenic uh, things. And in Europe, uh, certainly mushrooms and other other uh, herbs were, were utilized and were known about and would have been used in by the by special classes in particular mm-hmm. to, for, for mystical insights. And of course, they that kind of mysticism would be seen by the state as an alternative source of power. And they were also afraid of, they were afraid of people who had such power. They knew they were powerful. And that was another reason behind the persecution. Mm-hmm. So many times things get labeled as negative or evil uh, that are not necessarily so. Yeah. And, and also that uh, we have to look at the practice itself, what the practice does and what the intent behind the practice is. So, uh, if a person is intending to promote healing, utilizing knowledge from experience, which is empirical, which is derived through uh, experience uh, hitherto formed, um, that's totally different from someone who is utilizing uh, w- with bad will some some hypothet or, or something that may work, may not work, to achieve a, a, an egotistical result. Mm-hmm. So. There's distinctions that, that that can easily easily be made there, and the, the labeling process uh, comes in. It's easy to dismiss alternative uh, alternative medicines, etc., by people who have a vested uh, interest in it. And of course, if it's not in the scientific domain, the scientists will want to bring it in because that's where the sources of revenue come from. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I moved to San Francisco. Back in 1975, I lived in in, uh, the Seacliff neighborhood, and just a few blocks away from where I lived, uh, a fellow named Anton LaVey had founded the Church of Satan, which was, as far as I can tell, a pretty harmless uh, group of people, but they considered themselves Satanists. Yes. Um, I'm no expert uh, in the issue, but uh, my natural disposition from my upbringing would be against Satanism, particularly when we're talking about, well, f- f- not even in a pre-existing context, uh, the the, uh, the path towards light is seen to be the difference, uh, different than a, than a path through the darkness or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but I, I do understand that for some people that Satanism can be seen to be in a, its very mild for, uh, form in the way that they articulate it, a, a relatively harmless compared with, uh, say, if you like, genuine Satanism, such as Dennis Wheatley, how, how Dennis Wheatley would have considered it in, 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 his, in his novels in Britain, for example. Uh, so uh, I, I think that clearly that dark Satanism exists. That's not, mm. that's not a figment of, of my imagination or anybody's imagination. And obvious, well, if your, if your path is compassionate, you're not going to be going near any of things, those things. And in fact, you would want to protect yourself or, or there's always this idea that people on a path towards the light have to be aware of dangers. You can't ignore them. You have to be aware of where dangers are, but, but be able to, Develop your own powers so that one is not, one does not feel weak in, in, in that context. So th- there are degrees in, in that context. But what I would ask in relation to LaVey's form of Satanism is whether it is not or whether it is really a reflection of the standard physicalist, uh, naturalist idea, materialist idea, linked to the imagination because it's very 
it seems to be very materialist orientated in some ways. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you might say that's what actually reflects the path of progress uh, of uh, in a material world. And in fact, if you look at figures, for example, like Trotsky uh, and the way he went around Russia during the time of the uh, of the, the the Civil War period, he often dressed in black leather and he, he, there's suggestions that he sought to make himself look a bit satanic and he traveled around the, in the black train with, with the star in front of it. So uh, Trotsky had studied esoteric things quite intently. He, he I think he had it intended when he was in prison to write a book on Freemasonry, if I'm not mistaken. So he was very interested in those things. So there is a a cachet associated uh, with, with certain Satanism which, which appealed to certain figures. And of course, it derives its power by being oppositional, which a lot of Christian people will readily fall into the trap of giving it attention that it deserves. So, so one has to be a bit, a bit cosmopolitan and a bit open in relation to how one approaches knowledge. And from a pragmatic perspective, look at, uh, look at things and one can't feel personally or particularly threatened by particular things if one is on a firm foundation. I would, I would draw attention to one point, for example, which I think is relevant. If we look at, say, for example, there's an argument that a lot of Hollywood, the entertainment world, are interested in the occult and Satanism. And I, I've seen that uh, myself, for example, by going to uh, bookshops which deal with esoteric matters and hearing that certain actors had just been in and well-known, there's, there's some well-known actors mm -hmm. who are very open <coughs> about their interest uh, in the occult, etc. But put, I'm not talking about that because yeah. that's, that's, that's a normal uh, interest. Sure. Um, but in relation to uh, particular figures, uh, uh, for example, there are certain pop stars that are that a lot of children are listening to now mm -hmm. who as far as I can see, in, in interviews, claim they are possessed. They have a little voice inside them. They have a, there's one in particular who, who talks about having a boy inside her who is telling her what to do and that. So I don't know, for example, if people are, are, are when the, when the kids are listening to this, whether that's acceptable to them that the, the person who's becoming a kind of role model is saying openly that they're possessed, for example. Mm. So there is a kind of link between we see it in various art movements where it says, okay, well, we have to do something different. Where do we go to? We go to the uh, occult and we draw things in. So that may be just playing with things, but there's a, there's a very strong stream of occults and, and, and dark things which come into popular culture. Yeah. And one has to ask oneself, well, if people spend so much money advertising, do we really say that all this has no effect on people? And is it an effect that we're willing to put up with? Or is it a cost or, or price that we're willing to pay? So, so it's a, it's, a, it's a real issue in, in, in the context. But from an looking from the other side, I also see kind of inappropriate reactions from people in relation to the extent of their, of their knowledge of things. So some people want to pull down a, a curtain on everything that they have no familiarity with and shut it out and just focus on literal incantations from their theological back. And I don't think that's, that, that's going to do things. The words alone, uh, need something else. They don't work on their own. In, in mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned Trotsky. Yes. And, uh, the, the role of his occult interests in, yeah. uh, the, the rise of the Bolshevik movement and, yeah. In, in Russia, of course, prior to Trotsky, there was Rasputin. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Rasputin. Now, now I haven't got around to reading the most <laughs> recent book, which appears to be the first f fair book about, uh, about, uh, uh, uh Rasputin. But, uh, but I will He's pretty read much it. had a bad reputation. He has a bad reputation. But what one has to do is to look at the evidence. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a lawyer, so. You say, he's a bad person, I have to go and look at the evidence yeah. and see it. And, and some of our viewers won't know who Rasputin was, so yeah. maybe you could just summarize yeah. briefly. Rasputin was uh, born in Siberia, in, in a, a peasant society, I don't say that in any negative sense. Uh, and from an early age, he was seen to be to have mystical powers. He could 
He had second sight. He could see at a distance. Uh, he had some healing powers. He had, he had a number of powers that, that st- stood out. And at a, at a certain stage in his life, he was called to go and be a wandering monk. There was, there was, there was thousands of, of these wandering monks in Russia. So they traveled around. They were, they were Christians and they traveled around Russia. There, as far as I remember, there's evidence that he walked from where he lived down to the Greek monasteries. So these were huge distances that they were walking. And it wasn't safe to walk. So he was often battered when he went around. But uh, for me, when someone goes on that journey that we talked about, you can see the evidence of a genuine spiritual quest. A pilgrimage. A pilgrimage, sorry. effectively. Yes. Uh, but uh, so, the, so the, there was some meandering in it. So um, he had... Uh, so he wanders around, he, he learns of, meets people, meets loads of monks, meets people in the community, has his experiences. Uh, he travel, he, he, he goes back, he has a vision, he goes, uh, uh to the capital, he gets involved with the, uh, the Romanovs, he, he demonstrates that he has the power to heal, if you like, the son of this Tsarina, uh, who is a hemophiliac. So he, demonst- he demonstrates powers and he's able to, whether through the force of his personality, he was very mesmerizing. He seemed to have hypnotic powers to a lot of people. Uh, and uh, there's, there's plenty of evidence that he's a remarkable uh, individual. And these powers often come from having gone on a journey from focus and intent, yeah. etc. Uh, so he, he was very close to the Romanovs and that created a lot of a We're talking about the Tsar of the Russia. The Tsar of Russia, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that created a, a lot of uh, a lot of tension. There's again, if you look at the evidence, he seems to have been a ge- <laughs> which I regard as a true characteristic of a a, a mystic on the path to light. Uh, he, he seemed to be against the war. That was uh, that was part of his downfall. World War One. He was against the Russian involvement and uh, he, he saw that that would be disastrous. And it uh, was disastrous. And it was for, disastrous. For, right. yeah. it's, it's really what led to the Bolshevik Revolution. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, he, he, he was against that. He's, as far as I remember, he seems to have been against the persecution of Jews in Russia uh, and the pogroms had happened every now and then. It seemed that the, uh, the authorities often use programs as an excuse, as an ex- a distraction from other issues that the serfs were having and calls for reform. Um, and so he gets close to power and there's a number of people and groups who are very dissatisfied with him and they, they, they plot his downfall. So he made an interesting prediction. He said that if he was killed by the ordinary people of Russia, that the the royal family would or, uh, would continue the imperial family, and if he was killed uh, at the behest or by one of the royal family, they would fall. And that prediction uh, came true. It was a Russian prince, as I recall, who murdered him. Prince uh, Yusupov, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Yusupov creates this idea, you know, all this story about his death, which I've, I've no doubt there's elements of truth. You know, they, they try and. They try and poison him, they try and shoot him, they try and beat him, and eventually he's drowned in the river, but it was very difficult to kill him because Yusupov is telling the story and he wants to I, I suggest that Rasputin was was a, a, a terrible figure. And as far as I recall from listening to, just listening to an interview on, on the, the most recent book uh, on, on Rasputin that I come across, he, the author went to the, the German archives to see to investigate what, what they had about him. And it was clear that both the German Secret Service and I think the British Secret Service were involved in bringing about, or that's a suggestion, or painting a picture of, of Rasputin. So they began to exaggerate the picture of what he had done about him getting up on tables and taking out his, 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 his member on, on, on the, on the thing. Mm-hmm. Some of these things were exaggerated. The, now, there's, there's no exaggeration in the stories that he was very attractive to women, despite the fact that he was very unkempt and very uh, dirty and, and uh, often even smelly, and he drank a lot. He, he enjoyed drinking. Uh, he he healed a lot of women. Uh, he had a, he seemed to have a lot of relations. There's a very particular reason for that. He was belong he belonged to a sect, which sounds quite interesting. And according to that sect, it was a Christian sect. It, 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 the idea was that in order to 
be cured of sin, you first had to commit sin. So, so they had orgies and a lot of sexual practices which represent the sin, which would allow the uh, the forgiveness of sins afterwards. So it came to a different a different conclusion about mm -hmm. uh, how one would be saved if we compare it with a purit puritanical life. But uh, if we look at the core values, you say, well, what's the core values? Well, the core value is what his if his view in relation to. Um, People and, and well, we would say it was compassionate as evidenced by the, the healing and uh, also in relation to his political views. He was against, against war. He, he thought it was horrific. So the, the healing thing is more consistent with me with a, a compassionate individual. The story is about intrigues. You always have to sift through the evidence because a story, the first strong story may register. But a uh, information comes in, and you look at it from a different perspective, pragmatically, and you come to a different conclusion. Uh, and also, when he was at home before he was killed, he, uh, at one stage he was stabbed in the street as well, which is so he, he, he came through a, a lot of things. But um, the he had been on his journey; he had some powers beforehand, obviously. But those powers may have come to him because. As a child, he may have been in closer in touch, if you like, to, to the true self that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And we see a similar phenomenon with Joan of Arc in the sense that from a young age, she began to hear voices, but she, she was quite devout before that. She used to go to mass uh, uh, very regularly. So she was, <laughs> if you like, opening, <clears throat> opening up to a higher consciousness for her. And, well, you, you got a situation here uh, with Rasputin where he's engaging in very libertine sexual practices. Yes, yeah, yeah. And almost by definition, uh, there will be people who will be highly uh, judgmental about that and think of that as evil. Yes. Uh, I think... I, I, I think one has to be careful. We can see this argument. For example, I mentioned Senator David Norris who, who led the... Uh, who, who I've met and he... he led the effort to decriminalize homosexuality in Ireland. So it's an interesting example of how he answers these questions. So the law said uh, that, that homosexual acts were, were forbidden. In the Constitution, there was a little phrase which referred to the Christian and democratic nature of the state. Question is, uh, are these practices or, or the for prohibition consistent with the Christian and democratic nature of the state? The Supreme Court split in two. Uh, the uh, majority said, well, on a traditional view, it seems that there has been certain things, so we can say that the ban is, is, is consistent with the Constitution. The minority said, these are lawyers looking at the doctrine, the Christian doctrine. They said, if we look at Christian theology, we see that the dominant philosophy is compassion, and it's not compassionate to have laws which criminalize homosexuality. So you come to a different conclusion. Yeah. So we can't make generalizations. I often hear people saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and they, they cite authority. Often, say, for example, Christians, they often refer to the Old Testament. They don't refer to, to what uh, Jesus says. I'm not sure what the basis of that argumentation is, because if they're Christians, they should be focusing on the things that, that Christ said. And for a lot of people, uh, the, uh, the, the magnanimous Christians, if you like, or I, I think more consistent with the true intent, was that uh, Christ demonstrated the, the, the values of non-judgmentalism, of healing, of compassion, of understanding people with different views. And remember, for example, the story where he, he, he went and he was uh, getting treated with, with the expensive oils, like a kind of massage, to, and the, the disciples were giving out to him for having this treatment, and, and, and uh, he, he rebuked them for that because... Well, I think he was demonstrating that you have to, you have to be healthy and all uh, that, but, but, uh, and also his associations with Mary Magdalene and things. He wasn't judgmental about, about people who could be seen as sinners. And, and the best example of that is the final thing when he, when he's on the cross and it's the robber that, that, that gets to go to heaven. So, and in a lot of, when he says you'll, you'll be in, in, in paradise this day with me, but that, that is, an example, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, for me, it refers to the alignment of the spirit and realization mm -hmm. being more important than a list. And here's an interesting example. If you look at notions of correctness, so say take political correctness, 
So you have things which are right and wrong. In those systems, there's no forgiveness. You're either correct or you're incorrect. There's no room in the middle. You won't be forgiven. The Christian idea says, okay, you make a mistake, learn from it, don't do it again, try and repair it, whatever. You come to different different ideas. So I wouldn't take, sometimes it's oversimplified and critics of Christians oversimplify what Christians say or do and they usually take out, sometimes they can take out the starkest example and shine a spotlight on those people in order to create or attack the, the, the substance of Christianity. Well, and you know, I've occasionally been accused of being anti-Christian on, on this program. I don't consider myself anti-Christian, but I have to look at this. At one time, prior to Christianity, all of Europe was pagan. Yes. And somehow, uh, as Christianity became dominant, paganism disappeared entirely. Well, my here is the thing, uh, an interesting point that I was perhaps trying to make, and still I'm trying to make in relation to Ireland and consciousness. And I heard a, a Sioux uh, Native American talking fantastically about about spirituality, and I was listening to him. And in the talk, the only quibble I had was he said that Europe has believed for 2,000 years uh, a certain philosophy from Greek and Rome. Now, this is a tendency that happens in, in the United States to attribute too much significance to Greek and Roman philosophy because that's the one that, that was got most attention. Mm-hmm. In, they can't tell you in a lot of cases what the philosophy of ancient Ireland was. They can't tell you what the philosophy of the Basque country was uh, five, they don't know. Mm-hmm. So if they don't know, they leave it out. And you get a very, uh, a very limited picture. So, uh, I, I would say, for example, that in the Celtic countries, the pagan ideas survived up to the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're probably near, nearly gone now. But funny enough, as it seems there's a bit of pressure on Catholicism and Catholicism will, will, is, is in decline in Ireland, uh, quite, significantly as far as I can see. Um, it may be replaced by by a growth in in in, in Islam, for example. So, so there may be some kind of more quid pro quo and figures. Uh, but the uh, paganism is is going to have a kind of a new lease of life in some quarters. Whether that will Again, it can go too too, too yeah. fast. It won't necessarily be so. So it didn't totally go. I yeah, I yeah, have yeah, to agree. Yeah. I mean, you can look at the ancient cathedrals and and see many uh, uh, indications of pagan symbolism. And in, in fact, the cathedrals were often built right over pagan shrines. Exactly, exactly. Uh, th- that's exactly correct. And there's uh, there's one uh, chap in Ireland. I think his name is Thomas Sheridan, who who, who I've listened to some of his his podcasts. And for one of the one of the Christian uh, symbols in Ireland is are the round towers, uh, and he suggested or put forward the argument that the round towers were not Christian, but they were they were pre-existing ones. Mm-hmm. Now I, I hadn't I don't know if I'd considered that possibility very much, but I began to think about how we assume that we know because the Christian Church made a, a policy agreement. Not to try and destroy the pagan sites, but to take them over. So that's why they often build churches on, on, on site. Mm-hmm. But they may have literally taken over pre-existing buildings yeah. and transformed them into Christian yeah. things. But they, there, in Ireland, there had to be an accommodation. So there was. That's why, and the benefit of that was that there was some input from the paganism where we take the figure of Bridget. So Bridget is a, is, is one of the most important goddesses. The goddess figures uh, in in Ireland and it was in Britain, and she comes in as Saint Bridget uh, into the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. So there can be some. If they can't beat them, they can join them in some sense. Well, that, that's one of the nice things about Christianity, yeah. with all of its saints, uh, particularly yes. Catholic uh, Christianity, in in that regard. But I guess if we're talking about the dark side of yes. mysticism, and since you've brought up Trotsky, we can't ignore uh, the Nazi regime and and their very deep uh, interest in the occult and the yeah. way they they use almost an anti-Christian. Uh, mythos to galvanize the German people. Yes. Uh, and of course, uh, I say that Hitler was an example of dark mysticism because there's no doubt that 
uh, Hitler had certain powers uh, that you can, we can see that in relation to descriptions of his spellbinding uh, way that he dealt with crowds, uh, the way he had a, uh, he was said to have a sense of what was happening, the way he could mould the crowd. Um, we know that but he comes from a Catholic background, so he was familiar with magic and the power of that, and he apparently was impressed with the ritual magic, as he saw it, uh, of the Catholic Church. So he integrated some pre-existing things and uh, uh, from different sources. Uh, there was various mystical societies which were going around at, at the time. Uh, some, if you like, legitimate, some whatever, but they begin to become mixed up. So we have some very strange theories, counter-theories, uh, which come in, the world ice theory, you know, the, the, the vril and the people living on the ground and all, all, all this uh, stuff. Uh, and uh, that was that was a part of of the ethos that, wa- that was going around. Uh, so Hitler, Himmler, all uh, in particular, they were fascinated with certain symbols, the spirit of destiny and, and, and these things. So they facilitated... Um, they facilitated exp- exhibi- ex- expeditions and they facilitated exploration to try and get these because they believed they had magical power. So in that sense, he was a he was a, a black magician and, and that and, and typical re- representative and uh, Himmler and those people. Now here here is the the point to uh, that, that that's significant. He only got that power if he got the consent or the attention of the people. Without that, he didn't have that power. So the key point here in relation to dark mysticism is that that power is given by other people. It's when people relinquish their sovereignty to somebody else. So the the dark mystical leader can be very, very successful, but the individual has had to make a decision to concede their power. So that, that that's the important point. So... Uh, again, that's why I emphasize that mysticism is an individual pursuit and also that the mystic shouldn't be going out trying to, to tell the world. Well, I, I might, that might be a contradiction. <laughs> but they shouldn't be going around. Uh, and certainly, I'm not setting up any group. I don't mm-hmm. have a mobile phone, so they won't be able to find me. <laughs> but uh, so, so uh, that occultism uh, became and, and utilized as well because it had a power, and uh, we can't ignore that that that, mist- that dark mysticism. But that's not that's not a a reason to ban all the exploration of some of these theories. I'm in favour mm-hmm. of freedom of expression. I'm in favour of people having the power to look at the various theories. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people get afraid when they say, "Well, I don't think the world was like this, or or it could have been like this." We have to. Look at what people's arguments are. This is what happens in a court. You come forward. You might have a good argument. You might have a ridiculous argument. I'd say that's very interesting, whatever. And we'll decide whether you've presented enough evidence uh, that I can justify or, or, or justify your argument, accept your argument. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- people can't be threatened by evidence if they on, 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 uh, genuinely look at the range of stuff. But it's clear that extremism ideological practices, ideological dispositions can utilize these things to give them symbols, to give them power. Well, do we believe in magic or not is one question. Mm-hmm. If you believe there's magic, well, then we can believe that there's, there's dark magic that can be used for bad purposes. And that comes back to inten- intention. The key thing is intention. If you have a malign intention, wherever it came from, or if you are possessed, for example, you're not doing the same thing as a... Uh, a Buddhist, for example, on a path to light, genuinely commit. It's n- it's not the the same thing, and I don't think that they'll end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's very interesting how these things tend to, in my view, reverse uh, from time to time. I've used the symbol of the yin yang as, yes, as, yeah. as the idea for that that everything contains within itself the seed of its own opposite. Yes. And, and so we have, for example, in Buddhism, at one time in Buddhist history that in Tibet, uh, a wonderful country, I love Tibetan Buddhism, but there was a period in which the various Buddhist sects in Tibet were at war with each other. Yes. We shouldn't glorify 
or get too territorial. Uh, that was the point we made in the other interviews about our religious beliefs. We can't be, we can't believe too intently that we have the answer and that our way is the only way because there's more, there's more than one way. And, uh, if we look at the essential values or the essential, uh, signposts on the particular spiritual path, we can see that they'll probably end up in the same place. So I saw that in relation to, as I said, Vedanta. It sounds silly to me when a person talks about focusing on pure consciousness and begins to then tell you why their view is better than someone else's view. It's, it's, uh, uh of course there has to be judgments, mm-hmm. but we have to be very, very careful about, uh, and I, I think as well here, that we should be able to hold paradox and some contradiction in our, in our brains. Now I don't want to take the analogy of quantum physics because I've read a lot about it, but I don't understand a lot of it. But in that idea that we have potentiality in our position and that we can understand something, but we don't have to be committed to it. But the commitment comes from our own path. And my point is that if we're focusing on, on values which are seen to be consistent, compassion, kindness, mm-hmm. uh, forbearance as much as possible, learning from uh, uh, things we've done wrong, trying to improve, trying to facilitate our relations with other people. Uh, when we do wrong, improve, constant, continual improvement, consistent with total quality management even, going forward towards uh, the proper direction. This even applies in relation to the death experience as far as we can see in the sense that the Tibetan Book of the Dead and others, there's, there's a need to maintain the focus to concentrate on moving on towards the light and not getting distracted. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have, oh, if you're not clear about where you're going, you, one will get distracted in, in any context. The journey after that is a continuation of the journey in life. The idea in why one is disciplined mm-hmm. uh, is that one is, will still be on the same path and that discipline will will continue. It's like, I don't know if you've ever noticed in a dream, not lucid dreaming, but when you're in a dream and you face a moral choice and you act in a way that you hoped you would act in real life, uh, that may be a sign that that, that disposition, disposition is registered in your spirit in some way. Mm. As an information field, even. Yeah. 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 Dreams are very crucial. Um, let me ask you this question. You you have a Catholic background, yes. and I, I understand from our discussions you you have a lot of fondness for the Catholic Church. Uh, uh, I do, yes, I do, but uh, I'm not going to. I, I, I do certainly, yeah, but a lot of criticisms as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, "Resist not evil"? That's a big question. Uh, it's a difficult question. Uh, I'm not sure how I can answer that. Uh, because if you look, for example, uh, as I talked about my family history, the, uh, they didn't, uh, take a passive view in relation to evil. And we have the statements in the, in the American historical context that resistance to tyranny is homage to God. And uh, I'm, I'm quite disposed towards that view. Uh, I don't think that Britain should have sat down and resisted the, 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 the Nazis when they came. I think it was, it was right to utilize, uh, all the resources, uh, that they had. I think Churchill was right, of course, to say that he was willing to fight them on the beaches. And, uh, he also said that he would, he would fight if he was on the ground and he was drowning in his own blood and choking in his own blood, he would still be fighting. And that's the right attitude when you're dealing with evil. So resist not evil. Um, I don't think it's a commandment to, uh, n- to be, uh, to give your, your life up, uh, to uh, a tyrant. And, 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 uh, so, uh, I can't say that I can answer that mm-hmm. in the sense that you're meant to be passive in relation to, uh, a tyrant. Uh, so again, we go back to, uh, Aquinas and we go back to, uh, um, yeah, Aquinas on his just war theory. Mm-hmm. So, the point about Christian theology is that as a starting point, the meaning is not clear and the, the theologians begin to work and begin to study and begin to have a discourse about yeah. and we, they come up over a period of time through the magisterium of the church with, um, certain results. So 
there is a ten there is tendency to forget those hundreds of years of intense discussions between a wide range of people in a universal experiment to try and develop principles from flimsy basis in some senses. Uh, so uh, resist not evil. Uh, I, I I don't I I can't give a fine answer. What what I would say to that is that the better view is to try and prevent evil and that if we prevent evil if we can if it's possible then our resistance will not be required in the same way so if we and this is a total quality management perspective so the same as when you're manufacturing shoes on our televisions on a conveyor belt we know as a matter of accountancy it's always cheaper to correct the problem early on so that's that that's a matter of accountancy. Mm-hmm. It's Deming's theory and and so my point would be if we think about the origin of evil uh and focus on the prevention of evil, then perhaps resistance will be less required than it would be. And that that's why I would take a prophylactic approach in relation to mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. That's why I'd say it's better to prevent the evil uh if we know there's an evil coming than to live with the evil and spend all our energy resist. I don't know if that, yeah. that's off the top of my head. Well, I, you know, I can't disagree with anything mm. you've said. Mm. And, and yet at the same time, I think Jesus was trying to make uh, another point. I guess maybe uh, all we can do at this moment, because I don't have a better answer. Yeah. Well, what you, what, what, is, what's, what's your feeling? Well, what was it that you think without having to explain Well, we it? were talking, for example, about some of the persecutions, persecutions of witches. There, there's an example where in, in the name of Christianity, people thought they were resisting evil, but they were really doing great harm. And oftentimes it, it strikes me that in the name of resisting evil, people become evil. Yeah, but you said do not res- resist evil. Right. Yeah, but in the example you used, they were resisting evil. Yes, and, yeah. and, and, and bad things come of it. Yeah. In, in, in that sense, yes. Well, well, there's the one, you have to say that they, they, they weren't resisting evil. The ones that would have been resisting the evil would be the witches if they had done so. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to pursue this a little more because I think we're getting into territory where I'm uncertain and I get the feeling you're uncertain, but maybe that's healthy. Yeah, it is. uh, Yeah. Uh, I did this lengthy research. I think you're aware of it with Ted Owens, a man with psychokinetic abilities. On one occasion, for example, uh, San Francisco, the whole of California was suffering a drought in 1977. He yeah. came into uh, the Bay Area where I was living, walked into the headquarters of the San Francisco Chronicle, the major newspaper, and said, I, the great PK man, have come to end the drought using my yes. magical yeah. powers, yeah. which he had quite a track yeah. record yeah. Yeah. of, yes. of yeah. doing. And uh, the guards said to him, um, you're a nut. And they booted him right out. He didn't get past the lobby. Yeah. He wanted them to write a story about him. And uh, then he said, well, the people of uh, San Francisco need to be taught a lesson. Mm. And you get this with a lot of uh, magical practitioners. They yes, get yeah, mistreated yeah. because mm. they, they're forthright about their powers. And then people say, oh, you're an idiot. So mm. he said, I'll teach them a lesson. And yes. he was known for... Uh, lightning strikes I have on record he could point his finger like that and lightning would uh, lightning <laughs> bolt would come down well within a few weeks thousands of fires were started across the state of California 300,000 acres burned mm. caused by I don't know thousands uh, or hundreds at least mm. of lightning strikes mm. and uh, he, he sent me all the newspaper clippings and took uh, very proud he said this is what I did now mm. Uh, we have in the tradition of sorcery. What, what he did would be commonplace. Sorcerers go around and they, they can bless people. And Owens was a healer as, as well. And they can mm. curse. Yeah. Well, uh, immediately what I would think of is a story about St. Patrick. Mm. So St. Patrick comes to Ireland and if you like, the local magician, uh, wants to challenge this person who has come. So he says, I'm going to demonstrate my powers and he makes it snow. So St. Patrick says, 
will make the snow uh, make the snow go away. But he couldn't do it. Mm. But St. Patrick made the the, the the snow go away. Curious uh, parallel to, yeah. uh, to what you're talking about. But he demonstrated his superior magic. And this was an important part. The early Christians had to demonstrate their superior magic uh, from the stories. And the other point is, and this was, this was, I came across this in an academic text, uh, about, uh, about Bridget in particular. It seems that the Normans were very afraid of the power of Irish saints. Okay. So mm-hmm. that, that's quite, so the, the, they, they weren't afraid. The Normans were, very good at organizing things, at controlling things. And in fact, they're the classic pyramid structure. They come in 1066 across the channel and with a, a relatively small number of people, they establish control and they begin to work over. But, uh, and, and I have heard, incidentally, that William the Conqueror was considered the wealthiest man who ever lived. He owned England. Yes. And again, that power structure still still exists today that yeah. certain families are in the same places so so it's worked quite effectively but th- there's some evidence as far as i can see that they were afraid of the wrath of uh, irish saints and this is also reflected in a story about sweeney who who um shame uh, shame shameless uh Heaney has written about the poet, the, the Nobel poet, yeah. laureate poet. So there's a conflict between Sweeney, who represents a kind of Irish Druid class as, as well, and a saint. Mm-hmm. And the saint utilizes powers that end up with the with Sweeney wandering around the country without a place to go, as far as I remember. So the point was that the good guys in the story were developed their powers and were able to apply them to protect themselves. So. That's in some ways is inconsistent with an idea of uh, passive. It's not that. It doesn't yeah. say that. They wouldn't have persisted. Another feature of Irish Catholicism is during the Dark Ages in Europe, monks from the monasteries of Ireland, which was known as the Island of Saints and Scholars, went out and re-Christianized Europe and established monasteries uh, right across Germany, Switzerland, because they had writing, they had knowledge, they had knowledge of Latin, uh, you couldn't do that unless you had strong powers. So my my point is that in the spiritual tradition, if you look at it, a lot of it is not this obedience to authority, to some guy that has come along who speaks on God's behalf, some some person who is who has been trained without any spirit, without who utilizes those words to control and in an, in an inappropriate way the behavior of other people. There's, there's, there's quite a difference between them. So if we go back and look at the evidence, they weren't passive figures, and that has been lost. There's, there's been a cultivation of a passivity which is inconsistent with the historical evidence mm-hmm. of what Catholics used to be. So if we look back at the early Irish saints, they lived out in nature, they, they communed, like there's, there's, there's one story about, I think, St. Kevin and a bird built, he, he's so still that the, the bird built a nest in his, in his hand or, or mm-hmm. so, so they were very close to nature. They were very in touch with nature, but they also had magical powers. And the same, we know that the first copyright case in the world came as a result of a dispute with, uh, Columba. The first recorded uh, copyright case, Ireland had a legal system, but the, 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 Saint Columba was not happy with the dispute with with the the decision. Mm. The decision was to every cow its calf, to every book its copy. Uh, we can go into that story mm-hmm. some other time. But there was a legal decision, and the families began to fight over copyright of this book. This mm. is fifteen hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Led to his uh, leaving Ireland after there was bloodshed and vowing never to come back to Ireland again or never step on Irish soil. Although I think he came back with with. Scottish soil on the sky. <laughs> and again, the stories of him overcoming monsters and, and having precognitive powers and all that. So the parapsychology that one might wish to be part of science is not part of science. It's part of the spiritual tradition. That's what I would argue. And that the spiritual tradition had all these recognition of these powers as normal, as a, a link, a, a unified sense of mystical natural and magical powers and the point was that if you had these powers they were directed towards the good of that you know under the discipline of the church now discipline is an important point um every individual engaged in a spiritual path has to be disciplined 
when I say about or contrast revelation with reason, I'm not against reason. I, requ I would require that people be very reasonable, be very good at arguing, be very good at studying their trade, whatever it is, and become experts and w able to deal with the material world. I wouldn't advocate that people tune in and drop out and do nothing. That's no good to anybody. Uh, there has to be a discipline in a spiritual practice and in the other aspects of people's lives. So I'm, uh, this is another point if we, if we think about Ayan Rand and other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, James Tunney, this has been a stimulating discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and once again, I know these are conversations that 10,000 years from now we could still be having. Yes. And, and, and uh, you, you forced me to go back and review some of my ideas about when, when, when that, that's what a dialogue should be about. So mm -hmm. I appreciate your assisting me in that context. It, it's su such a great pleasure to have these conversations. Thank you very much. With you and, uh, I hope that we have future opportunities to have many more. I find them uh, fascinating the way you can integrate the, your perspective as a barrister with your perspective as a, uh, as a poet, an artist, and a mystic. I appreciate it, that, especially coming from you. Thank you. Very, very refreshing to thank me. Thank you. So thank you so much for being with me. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. And thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.